Welcome to Chatting About Change with Dr. Jim Maddox. I'm a professor, OD consultant, and change strategist, helping individuals and organizations experience life to the fullest and engaging in positive transformational change. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Chatting About Change with Dr. Jim Maddox. Today, I'm visiting with Susanna Matthews, who is a dating and relationship coach and speaker and also um, mindful matchmaker. I love that title, that idea of mindful matchmaker. Um, And I'll let you kind of describe, I I love the name of your website. I love the name of your business. So I'll let you kind of tell our readers about that. And then we'll just kind of get your perspective on how relationship coaching, how that's evolved or changed, especially with, with COVID. So welcome, Susanna. So th- thank you very much, Jim. I appreciate the invitation to have a conversation with you. It's, it's always kind of fun to, to chat about these uh, topics. So you mentioned the name of my firm. It's the Date Maven, and I am kind of uh, known in matchmaking circles as the Date Maven. Um, I, I really liked the, the resonance of that title, and since the word maven implies someone who's kind of an expert or uh, consultant specialist in their area, that, that felt like the right term to me. Um, but it has been interesting to see how the dating landscape has changed a lot over the last 10 years. And um, relationships have certainly been challenged and tested by COVID and, and all the events of the world of the last year. And as coaches, our, our job is sort of, it's twofold, right? It's to offer support to clients, but it's also to offer a bit of an ass kicking from time to time so that people can really grow and be challenged and obtain the goals and the outcomes that they want. Awesome. Um, so how did you kind of, how did you enter into this field? I mean, it's, it's such a cool niche. Yeah, it, it, it is kind of a bizarre story as well. When I was an undergrad in college, I, I struggled with what to write my first research paper about. And my mother kind of dropped a hint to me. She said, well, you know, your uncle does interesting research. And at the time I had an uncle who was an entomologist, meaning he studied bugs. Specifically, he studied the mating habits of insects. And I thought, well, that's pretty peculiar. Yeah, how do moths and cockroaches decide who to hook up with? (laughs) So I I looked into his research. I'll be honest, I probably didn't understand all of the science, but I understood enough to know that pheromones were a major driving factor. It puts a whole new spin on birds and bees, right? For sure. Yeah. So like, you know, they were just responding to nature's prompts and uh, pheromones, of course, being a little chemical or hormone that we all contain in our bodies and um, that can um, sort of alert us to a appropriate partner. Uh, I should probably put that word in air quotes because sometimes those pheromones can lead us astray too. But but basically sort of um, signaling um attraction and interest as far as mating habits go. Um, And then I found that a lot of people just over the years, I I was in a number of other careers. I taught for a while. I was in media and broadcasting. And it seemed like no matter where I went and what I, I did, Jim, people sought me out and asked me for advice. And I wasn't hanging out any sort of shingle at the time. I was in no way pretending that I had any of the answers to any of their problems and questions. But students would frequently say to me, you know, I feel like I can talk to you. You're sort of like a cool version of my mom that's not going to judge me and not going to tell me I screwed up. Just tell me what I should do about this situation. So I would give sort of very um, unofficial, (laughs) casual advice. 
And then one day, you, you know how academia is, I was kind of realizing, I think I have gone as far as I can go in this particular institution and, and, and making as much as I can make. I think it's time for a career change. And so I sought out an opportunity to train with a dating coach and matchmaker whose approach was very business minded, very marketing minded. And, and she was teaching people really how to package and present themselves almost as if we are the commodity, we are the product as a single man or woman and really bringing that business and marketing mentality to how to put ourselves out there in the dating space. I really liked her approach, completed a, her, her program and then I was off and running with the Date Maven and that was 10 years ago on Valentine's Day, 2011. What a cool day to launch that. It had to, it had to be, right? There was no other choice. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's like the universe was telling you this was your field, this is what you needed to do. This is my and, yeah, and it's like, okay, if you're doing this, why not get paid? For sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's really exploded. I mean, you know, we all know the marriage and divorce rates. We're all, we're all familiar with that. We have more pressures and expectations on marriages and partnerships than at any other time in human history. There's zero shame in saying, I need a little help with this. This is not my area of expertise. I need a resource here. Yeah. You know, when you think about, like you said, the divorce rate, when you think about the number of, of cyclical relationships that people go through, you know, I, I can almost see you, you know, somebody saying, well, why would I need a, a dating coach? And you could just say, well, how's that working out for you? Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. obviously what a lot of people are doing has not been working. Right. Yeah. If anyone is feeling any sort of um, aggravation or frustration with their dating experience, then they might want to consider a, a dating coach. We're all creatures of habit and pattern and how we were raised and who raised us, even if they did a really great job with some things, chances are they were not able to meet all of our needs, um, even really good, well-intended parents who maybe put a roof over our heads and three meals a day on the table and clothes on our back. You know, it, one of the hardest things in the world to do is understand another human being. And so, um, you know, whether you had awesome parents or whether maybe there's some neglect or abuse or trauma in your background, chances are whatever those um, wounds are and whatever those unmet needs are, those are showing up in your adult relationships or showing up in mine as well. And so really understanding those and how those manifest in our adult relationships, that's, that's our life's work if we plan to have a relationship. No, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. Do you, um, do you find, do you work with like a full range then of, of like young adults, um, older, you know, adults that are going through kind of midlife transitions? What, what's that range like? And then um, what's the, kind of the breakdown? Is it um, pretty even between men and women or do you find one gender, you know? And then, and of course now with, um, you know, with just society is much more accepting of and open with relationships that have always existed in terms of, of same-sex relationships and, and other types of just kind of non-traditional roles. How has that all kind of played out in your um, yeah. in your business? Very, very good question, Jim. So we work with a, a wide age range of clients, our youngest clients being college age and our oldest clients being retirement aged individuals. So we, we do have the desire and the craving to partner at any age and life stage, 
of course, the goals are often different, right? So the college age individual might be dealing with some social anxiety, wanting help with um, just how to strike up conversations and break the ice with strangers, um, how to flirt, how to read flirtation signs and cues from other people, how to use texting to connect with people a little bit more deeply, um, how to kind of get things from that superficial fast swipe mentality and almost overabundance mentality of dating to, to really making meaningful connections with other people. Um, and then of course, at the older end of the spectrum, there are some different needs there. A lot of times those individuals have either been married and divorced or married and widowed. They are not necessarily always looking to remarry because oftentimes they're kind of settled in their lifestyle and their finances are set. And so maybe they're just looking for someone to have dinner and go on a cruise with. Um, so it's just kind of looking for companionship often at that life stage. And being as set in habit as we are, it can be hard to, to branch out and meet new people and know where to go and what to do to meet those new people. Um, so we really enjoy helping those clients as well. Uh, pretty evenly divided between working with men and women. I do find that uh, women oftentimes are more receptive to and more successful with date coaching. So in other words, I can kind of teach you to be your own matchmaker and give you the tools to use for the rest of your life to, to help yourself. It's that whole give a man a fish, he eats for a day, teach a man to fish, he eats for a lifetime sort of scenario. Uh, men tend to want more that sort of magic bullet, solve my problem, let's hire a matchmaker, put someone in front of me, I'll buy dinner, you know, is, is a little bit more the mentality there sometimes. Yeah, that's, I, I, I'm not surprised by that, that, you know, that pattern difference. Mm -hmm. So um, is there, do some people struggle to reach out to you because they don't want to feel like they can't do it on their own? Yeah, I do hear that sometimes. I always find that a little peculiar. I mean, um, I don't struggle to reach out to a plumber if my pipes are leaking. <laughs> and I don't struggle to reach out to an arborist if I have a tree that's knocking down a fence. So I don't really expect myself to be an expert at all the things that I need to do to make my life run smoothly. I also think that as there's more mental health awareness, which we've really seen um, a rise in that in recent years, and people are more comfortable talking about, hey, yeah, I went to therapy after my divorce, or I'm going to a therapist to figure out what I want to do with my life in the next chapter. As people are more open about that, there is a lot more openness and less shame around seeking out coaching solutions as well. Yeah. Thank you know I'm I'm so thankful for Brene Brown. Mm, amen. And work, yeah, and the work that she's done, it's just I mean she's kind of brought to the forefront things that other people have been talking about and, and been kind of you know knew was was kind of under the surface. But yeah, that you know it's okay to be vulnerable. It's authentic. You know it's it's. I think if people were more vulnerable and authentic, they would probably have more you know genuine relationships. I agree, Jim, but many, many people just don't know how. Um, and so it's, it's not a matter of blame or fault finding, but, but men and women both just really struggle with how to do that. So that's where relationship coaching comes in. And uh, I often will tell people, you know, you're, you're the one with the coach. So that means you're going to have to be the big girl or the big boy and kind of take the lead in this. You know, your partner may not have the coach or the person you just met online may not have the coach. So you're going to have to kind of be the, the leader in this emotional area. Giddy up. <laughs> do, you, do you ever work with couples then kind of in that early dating stage or do you pretty much just focus on 
on one of the partners? Yeah, so, so I will work with couples who are in early stages of dating to help them establish relationship habits that will serve them in the long run. Now, once someone gets engaged or gets married, that's not really my area of focus. Not that I couldn't, but just you know, not striving to be all things to all people. Um, but I really do believe those first three months, six months, even that first year, that's when we really set up the patterns that are either going to serve us or hurt us in the long run in that relationship. Yeah. What, um, what are some of the, the, I mean, are, there's probably nothing typical, but what are, what are some of the patterns that, that you have, um, that you, that are kind of common that you try to uh, help people break that, kind of our, our self, um, um, self-sabotaging. I think one of the hardest things to do, and I'll just own this as well for myself and my own growth, is really having difficult conversations with your partner. Um, we're all afraid of rejection. We're all afraid of losing the one we love. Having those hard conversations um, in which we say, hey, you know, when this happens, I feel this way, or... When that doesn't happen, it makes me think this and, you know, really just kind of owning those fears and insecurities and sadnesses and anger, which can be one that women really are champs at suppressing um, and finding a way to bring those out to our partners in a way that isn't um, accusatory, doesn't you know put them in defensive mode because we don't get anything solved there and really just sitting in the discomfort of, okay, here's how I feel and here's how I see it. And here's how he feels and here's how he sees it. And those don't match. Oh my gosh, you know, that's a really uncomfortable spot to be in. And we want so much to have peace and harmony. We will just do anything, meet me in the middle, meet me in the middle, meet me in the middle, like, 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 like let's work this out. Um, and eventually we do want to get there. We do want to get to some kind of middle ground or compromise. Um, but it can be so scary, right? And all our little primitive parts of our brain get activated. Oh, I have to flee or I have to fight or I'm going to free. You know, it's, it's a trauma response a lot of times yeah. that we go into. So learning to really manage our, our um, whole physical, psychophysiological system in those moments, um, that's quite a life skill that we're not taught in school and most of our parents don't teach it and churches don't teach it. And where are we going to learn that? Yeah. 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 Just. And, and I loved your, you know, the idea of the, of the, like you said, the plumber, the expertise of being able to help people see that, um, you know, the, I think, especially in early relationships, people being very um, avoidant of conflict and just trying to smooth things over and be super agreeable to everything. Um, and then that tends to kind of run its course, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, any of us over a certain age have some relationship history of, okay, well, this happened in my last relationship. So I've got a wall up there or I've got a scab over that. And that's not always the most healthy or constructive place to work on that. From. Yeah. One of the things that, I, and you probably have encountered this, that um, people kind of repeating the same patterns. I mean, kind of the same seeking out the same type of partner that doesn't work out. And then they, they seek out that same type of partner again, and it doesn't work out. Uh, and, and then at some point stepping back and thinking, okay, what's the definition of insanity doing the same thing <laughs> right. over and over again and expecting different results. We learn at a very early age, what love means and how to define love. And sometimes 
you know, the words that we come to associate with that subconsciously are not the words that you would necessarily find empowering or loving, you know, maybe words like fear, risk, pain, abandonment, insecurity, chaos, you know, again, this is all happening at a subconscious level. So it's not like we're out there writing on our dating apps, like I'm really looking for someone who will throw me off kilter and create total chaos in my life. <laughs> but, but that's what the subconscious might be seeking for. Yeah. And, and confusing chaos for love. Yeah. You know, because it, it you know, like you were talking about the pheromones, it, you know, that type of, of, I'm trying to think of the word, but it triggers so many of the neurons in our brain. And then we can confuse that anxiety, that churning inside us of, oh, this must be love. And it's like, um, we, we interpret familiarity as safety. That's just kind of an evolutionary um, response. So, so that's kind of how that happens. But yeah, you know, if people can really um, be kind of brave and courageous and, and take a look at that, um, there's a lot of growth and a lot of empowerment available. And um, yeah, it's going to be weird and awkward for a few moments along the way. Um, but just know that, know that amazing things are on the other side. How, how is your um, field being impacted by, and I, I, I would call it kind of a, a long overdue kind of social awakening, social reckoning of, of the, the role that women have been like put into um, and the whole, um, the Me Too movement, which um, it was long overdue, but that idea of just how, how women are treated and seen um, how has that, has that had some impact with your business then or? Well, yeah, I can, I can kind of speak to more like my personal response to that, um, maybe more than just kind of an industry-wide response. I mean, we're always concerned with people's safety and security, but ultimately if you put two people on a date, you don't have any control over what actually happens on that date. And that's just kind of a, a real reality. You know, once people are on their own private time and are on public property or private property, that's we're not there to babysit the date. But one of the things we really strive to do is to help enhance people's mindfulness and awareness. And so that means helping women understand sometimes male psychology and male needs and um, lenses. Uh, you know, women are often asking, why do they act this way? Why do they do this? Why do they say that? Why do they pull away? And then vice versa, helping men understand female psychology and how key it is to provide a sense of physical and emotional safety so that a woman can open up. Um, men need emotional safety as well. Physical safety is usually not as big of a concern. Um, but, but I think until we've walked in the other's shoes, you know, I've never spent a day as a man and you've never spent it probably a day as a woman. Right. So we really can't know, um, you know, the, the, the perceived, uh, the real or imagined fears that lie outside of our doors every time we step out into the world. And helping men and women understand that can take away a lot of the negative interpretation of she's being a bitch or she's being cold or I can't understand her. She's giving me mixed signals or, or whatever it might be. Yeah. And so like yeah. the absence of conflict does not mean, um, you know, harmony. And right. That's true in organizations as well. So, yeah, that, that's a good realization. I mean, um, again, that's something else we don't really have any training on in our youth, how to have healthy conflict 
And so it is easy to assume that if we're not getting along, that's a really bad sign. Well, a really bad sign might be if we're screaming and yelling and throwing dishes at each other. Another really bad sign might be if we're stonewalling each other and just going to separate corners of the house and not speaking. There is a place in between where we can work through it. Yeah, what's, um, I'm trying to remember what the uh, the Gottman, you know, Institute, and, the, and they have the 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 four four horsemen. Four, yeah, of the of the you know relationship apocalypse. Do you do you encounter some of that? Yeah, yeah. St stonewalling is one of them. Uh, uh, words of contempt or expressions of contempt. Uh, criticism is another. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I have to keep myself honest too, right? Like as the coach, I'm not perfect, but I do have to sort of hold myself to these standards too. So when I'm having a conflict with my partner, I kind of have to check, okay, did I just roll my eyes? That's not cool. Don't do that. <laughs> um, keep myself in good habits. So how is this how has this played out? I mean, this is very, your, your field is, I mean, I just, I love the, the idea of how it's impacting lives and relationships and helping people create healthy um, partnerships um, and, and really just self growth, getting to know themselves better. And so, um, but that, you know, that's such a requirement of, of getting face to face, like sitting across from, you know, at dinner, you know, um, having coffee, yeah. how has that happened? Or how has that really been possible with with COVID the last you know fourteen months? Well, so so coaching can happen pretty easily via Zoom, just the way we are talking here. And I always support my clients through email and text message as well, so that they can get what we call just in time uh, support for whatever their social endeavors might be. Um, but with uh, you know. Now that things are opening up and people are getting vaccinated, people are getting back together in wine bars and beer gardens and, and things like that. But there for a while, it, in the early part of the uh, pandemic, dating just kind of stopped because everyone was freaking out, losing their mind, and in some cases losing their jobs. And so everyone just kind of froze. And then we got the idea of the Zoom date. And so we started coaching clients about how to really put your best foot forward on Zoom. And yeah, it's not ideal, but there are some things we can do to really personalize it and make it feel a little bit more date-like. And now I think we're kind of back to um, business as usual, although the exception being the experience of being so socially isolated for a year seems to have had the effect culturally on really making like this is important now like this is a missing piece of my life there is some urgency to meeting someone special I used to just kind of think like oh I'll invest in my work or I'll get a job a dog or I'll you know really I'll go to the gym a lot and that's fine those are all sort of distraction and coping mechanisms to, to fill our lives um, but I think people got a little more honest with themselves about oh shit like this is this was pretty painful to weather this pandemic without someone to bear witness to me and, and to reflect my life back to me and to, to lean on in, in tough times. And so now it's just really a priority for people to find someone, whereas before it might have been kind of lower on the list. Do you think as as um, society and opens back up, do you think some of that Zoom dating will be um, maintained? Do you think that will still be? <laughs> People seem to hate it. Um, I, you know, I was like, look, it's this or nothing. Uh, <laughs> you, you just do what you have to do. You know, it's just a tool. Don't, don't, you know, but no, people would much rather date in person. Yeah. It's interesting. Just the, the energy that you get from somebody, just 
I use the word vibe, but mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah. And, and I think it, it goes back to your um, entomologist. Um, was it your grandfather? Uh, it, it was an, a former uncle. Uncle. Yeah. The, the idea of the pheromones and just, you know, it's that's that biological component. So I think there is something about just getting face to face. So have you, have you gotten calls from a client during a date? Um, so, so I don't really want them calling per se, because that, you know, that, that's, that's a little bit too long of a timeout, but if they need to step off to the, the restroom and send me a text message or something, um, that, that can be kind of a, um, semi-private way to do that. Um, for the most part, no, people just kind of, you know, weather the moment or navigate their way through. But I might say to them, you know, send me a screenshot if you're in the middle of a text exchange with someone you've met online and I'll, I'll weigh in. Or if you're at a party and you're, you know, send me a picture of the person you're trying to flirt with across the room and, um, you know, I'll help you make some observations about your environment or something like that. A wing woman as well, or at least, at least I used to before the pandemic, but I haven't really been back out doing that again. But that can be really helpful to kind of be in the field and, and whispering in my client's ear in real time, approach this table, say this, here's how to break in, compliment this person on that, laugh at this, you know, sort of that social instruction. What, what's your take? Uh, this was, uh, um, I never did um, participate in it during my, my single time, but, but speed dating, the, the, you know, getting people a whole group kind of in a restaurant and kind of like the speed dating from table to table is that does that even work or is that like is that well, just like, is that just a, a gimmick i think it depends on what your goal is um does it work as a mechanism for meeting new people sure does it work as a mechanism of raising your probability of meeting the person you're going to fall in love with mm, not so much um as a professional dating coach and matchmaker i don't love speed dating events and i don't host them and i have a a spate of reasons why that is, but I can understand the appeal. And I understand that people, you know, we live in such a instant gratification culture. I can understand that the idea of, I'm just gonna have to invest one or two minutes with this person and not waste time, I get the appeal. However, I would, I would challenge anyone who thinks that way, if you approach dating with the attitude and the vibe of, are you going to waste my time? I'm not a time waster. That energy is invisibly communicated to the person you're sitting across from. And now you're kind of wasting their time because you're putting off this vibration of, you better be ready to impress me. Okay, the clock has started. Well, that's not a way to connect with another human being. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, so don't go looking to ride off into the sunset with someone you fall in love with. Just... See if you can have a 60 second conversation with somebody. And if you can't, then you walk away with the, the do better of, I guess I need to polish my conversation skills. Um, you know, just look for the win in that. But yeah, don't go expecting miracles. It seems like, do you, do you find that your clients are really kind of on a journey of self-discovery of, of really getting to know themselves better and how they, how they come across and how they present themselves? Yeah, the, the clients who certainly realize the most benefit out of the program are the ones who are kind of open to that idea. Um, what it's gonna look like or how long it's going to take, I, I can't always necessarily predict. I kind of know the tools that we're probably going to use along the way. 
Um, but I can't always kind of predict where those little personal landmines might be like, okay, we might need to spend more time here on mindset. We might need to spend more time here on managing limiting beliefs and negative automatic thoughts. We might need to spend more time here on body image or um, sexual confidence or something like that. Um, so it, it's, it's one of the great things about it, Jim, is just, I know where we're going, but I don't really know, you know, all the rest stops we're taking along the way, or are we going to take this highway or this interstate and are we eating chips in the car or not? You know, it's, there's yeah, very, very, very dynamic. Yeah, it's very dynamic. Well put. Thank you. So do you have, how often do you typically work with most clients or is that, does that vary widely as well? Weekly is ideal. You get the most momentum with, with a weekly session. There are some clients who, because of the demands of their career or maybe travel or family or whatever, bi-weekly works best for them. So I really do try to customize that. Now, I know, um, you know, in my field of, of organizational change and looking more at the at psychology and organizations as opposed to kind of individuals, but I have a lot of colleagues and I've had several guests on, on the podcast that have been um, coaches, particularly like leadership coaches or life coaches. Um, how does your your um, niche of coaching kind of fit or not fit with those? And is there like the ICF, the International Coaching Federation, that is kind of popular? Is there is there like an international um, dating coach association <laughs> federation or something? Um, there is a Matchmakers Alliance, which is our professional development organization for matchmaking. And then dating and relationship coaching. There's a lot of um, variety in terms of some coaches have sought certification in a life coaching program like the one you mentioned. Others have simply uh, mentored or apprenticed with someone in the profession and others have just sort of said, hey, I have raw talent and, you know, read a million books or something. So I'm going to gonna launch into this. Um, the interesting thing is, although I have a lot of regard for certification programs, almost no one asks hey, what are your certificates? What are your degrees and diplomas? How many hours have you logged? They just want to know, can you get me a flipping result? <laughs> can, you can you help me change? Can you change my life? Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I've had that, that same conversation with a lot of my students and, and, you know, in my university teaching is they'll say, well, what credentials should I get? And, you know, will this certification, I was like, well, it might help, but really the organization wants to know can, you know, can you deliver results? Can you help them through whatever process they're trying to manage or change? And so, yeah, it's very much results oriented. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And since it is so personal, um, it's really important that people like and trust their coach. I mean, it's, it's different than hiring someone for almost any other job because you really need to feel comfortable kind of opening your soul to that person. Do, do you find that, that, kind of like you're you're kind of in that dating relationship in a in a in an odd way like with clients do you sometimes find that okay as a client approaches you this you're not a good fit for what I do or I, I don't feel comfortable working with you is that I'm yeah. sure that occurs and that's got to be kind of awkward 
Right. Yeah. It happens occasionally. It's not common or frequent, but it, it does happen rarely. And, um, you know, if that's the case, they really are better served by maybe another resource. I try not to leave people hanging. So if I can recommend a book or a podcast or even another coach or therapist or a therapist, actor, yeah. mm -hmm, um, I'll do that. Uh, yeah, I'm not for everyone. And uh, it's usually pretty clear in our initial consultation if it's going to be a good fit between us. Yeah, that's, yeah, this has been really fascinating. Um, so as we kind of wrap up, what would be kind of the one, one piece of advice that you would, you would kind of leave to the listeners? Well, you know, since change management and, and organizational change are, are, are your sweet spot, uh, I was thinking a little bit even before we got on the call about how there's not much uh, training or support to help us as adults navigate our relationships as we experience our life changes. So for example, when we have a child leave for college or if we make a career change or lose a job or maybe step into semi-retirement or one of us, you know, maybe someone has to move for their job or um, maybe one of us is gonna start a business or something like that. Once people sort of make their commitments and take their vows, there's usually very little that they're doing to continue to grow and develop themselves as a couple, to invest in the us. You wouldn't try to grow and develop your career without seeking out some, you know, workshops, seminars, week-long training sessions, a mentor. Yeah, the work, yeah the, the work doesn't end when you land the job and think, oh, I'm done. Yeah, yeah, the growth doesn't end. So as much as you would invest in your growth for your career, be prepared to invest at least that much, if not more, in your romantic relationship, assuming it's it's you're looking at it as a commitment for life. Um, and if you haven't done that much work, um, don't either, you know, don't, it's not time to throw in the towel and it's not time to even probably go for counseling until you can really say, we've read these 10 books and done all the exercises in them. You know, we've incorporated these habits. We really are creatures of habit when it comes to our, our thoughts and our feelings. And we can change those. And it's, it's not a matter of taking a magic pill. It's a matter of making the effort. That's, that's helpful. What would be the, uh, the, the, the what's, what book would you recommend? What's kind of on your nightstand or what's a, a recent book or one that you just clients have to read? I just vehemently recommend any book by Stan Tatkin, his area of expertise is attachment style. When we understand our, um, attachments, then we can better understand what the heck to do with them and, and how to be in a relationship. Uh, John Gottman is another marriage researcher who's just pioneering and, and huge and, and you can't go wrong there. And then Harville Hendricks, um, I know one of the difficult things in a relationship is to really kind of keep ego in, in check and really learn how to apologize to our partners and um, understand that it's not always up to me to identify wrongdoing. If my partner feels hurt or harmed, he's hurt or harmed. It's not, it's not up to me to go, yeah, I hurt your feelings. Um, so really understanding how to make that right and how to soothe our partners. Uh, all those three authors would be a great place to start. Yeah, that's helpful. Uh, um, yeah, my, my wife and I kind of have our, our own book club. Nice. And we, we um, pick out a bunch of books like over the Christmas break. And then those are what we're going to try to read for the year. And then we add to it. And so um, it's very competitive. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like how many books each one of us have finished. And then we also try to have one that we're reading together. 
and so um yeah always looking for always looking for good suggestions and so appreciate that yeah hit me up anytime for book suggestions i i'm a big big reader well Susanna, i appreciate your time this has been fun catching up it's always great to talk to another um wichita person <laughs> so back to, my, back to my route so right um, i appreciate your time have a, well, have a great nice. rest of your day i will thank you jim talk Take to you care. later okay hope you've enjoyed listening to Chatting About Change with Dr. Jim Maddox. If you want to connect more, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, and at my website, drjimmaddox.com. Thanks for listening.